0: All right, everyone. Well, we're jumping into a new series again. And I I told you a couple weeks ago that normally I like going through books of the Bible. Uh, That's what we've been doing since I I got here. But every now and then we pull out for a few weeks to do series that are a few topics that I think are really, really important. And the last two weeks was generosity. And now we're shifting to another series called Church Basics. That what I believe is, is kind of laying out for us the fact that the church is supposed to be a gift of grace from God to us. It's not supposed to be an obligation or a duty. And the reason I, I've gone to this is before we started James, we were in the book of Acts. I don't know if you remember that. And and as we were going through the book of Acts, there was a lot that we saw in there. As This young church was just, uh, the gospel was just coming on the scene. And this young group was believing in Jesus and getting saved. And that movement was flying through the world very quickly. like It it flipped Israel upside down. Their enemies actually all over the world said that these people are turning the entire world upside down. And this early church, it was beautiful. It was powerful. It was was amazing. As we read Acts, it was this thing that kept stirring up in me as we were reading it and going through it together. Uh, What we saw of the church in Acts felt very different than what I think we experienced normally in the church. It, it, feel, it seemed very, it was so different at times that I wasn't even sure if I was looking at the same thing in Acts that I've experienced in the American church. I just wasn't sure that it was the same thing. It seemed so foreign. It seemed so different. It, and it made me ask these questions like, is it possible that, I know some things change in culture, but is it possible not just that things have changed in culture, but over 2,000 years We've drifted so far away from God's original plan from the church that it's not just not similar to the original, it's not even the same thing anymore. And that, that's, been, that's been gnawing at the back of my head as ever since we stopped that series in Acts and we're moving on to James. I've been saying, is this what it's supposed to be? Is this, is this, is this how the early church, God's plan was was the trajectory of it supposed to be this. I mean, these people, they didn't have any former idea of what the church should be. They had no resources. They had nothing. They didn't have money. They, They didn't have buildings. They didn't have anyone that had done it before. There were no books written, no podcasts, no radio shows, no previous amazing pastors that had gone on before. All they had was the Old Testament. They had the gospel. They had the spirit and they had each other. That was it. And somehow, this little group with only those things literally turned the world upside down for Jesus. And now we, we have buildings, big buildings. We have books, tons and tons and tons of books with idea after idea after idea. We, we have experience. We have thousands of years of experience of church. This has been going on for over 2,000 years now. And somehow, somehow with all those added resources, we have more money and more influence and more buildings and more resources, somehow somehow, it seems like we're still missing something. Here's why I would say that. I, when I think about the church being considered a grace of God, when you read the early church, You want to know what would make an early Christian lose their mind if they could not gather with the church. That was considered an act of punishment to the early church. When they thought about not being able to gather and not being in good relationship with the people and the body they were sitting next to, that felt like a punishment to the early church. And I think for us, when I describe our experience for the church, I'm afraid that for us punishment feels like going to church and vacation feels like staying away from the church. Like we can not take it for so long and then we're like, I just need a break. I can't be with those people this Sunday. I've had a long week. The last thing I need is to be with the church. I, I, I've had difficult things happen. The last group of people I wanna see is people that I sit with on Sundays at church. I don't want them to know what I'm struggling with. I don't want them to know that I had a bad week. I wanna suffer away from them. I wanna have real friends. I don't wanna be at the church. And I'm sitting here wondering, man, if the church is supposed to be a gift of grace for us, where have we gotten this wrong? Maybe it's not supposed to be a gift of grace, but I believe it is. And I wonder how many of us have experienced church in a totally different way. As I was thinking about that, I think church has sometimes been a place that we're bored to death. You ever experienced that in church? Maybe you're experiencing it right now. I apologize. But I'm not sure that we always enjoy church. I think we endure church. We, we tolerate church. We, we take breaks for our own mental health from church. It's, it's a chore or an obligation. I'm a part of church because I have to be, not because it feels like grace and kindness for me to be a part of it. It's just another thing on my huge to do list, right? Like I've got this list of things that are never done, and there's always things getting added to it. And church is just one more thing it's a duty. The problem with that is when church is a duty or an obligation, another thing that's on our to-do list, it's not a thing of, that we view as a gift of grace or experience as a gift of grace. The problem is the moment you taste a little bit of grace, you will bolt from the church because grace to you means I don't have to go anymore. Anyone, anyone? Am I, no, don't raise your hand for that one. That's, uh, but we know that. But For other people, that's not how they experience the church. Church isn't just this thing that we have to do. Church feels like the one place that's steady and unchanging and it's been the same since I can remember. Like it feels good in a culture that's constantly flipping and turning over where everything changes and it doesn't just change a little bit, it changes quickly like there's something calming about the church when you show up and nothing's changed and it, we feel less isolated and forgotten, right? Because as culture keeps changing and we get further and further behind in culture, when technology ramps up and you realize, I don't know how to work this little thing right here as good as I'm supposed to. My thumbs are too big for texting or whatever it is. Like as it, as it picks up the pace and it changes, when that happens, you begin to feel more and more isolated. More and more left alone, more and more lost, more and more longing for a something that feels like it hasn't changed. And church, for some of us, becomes this nostalgic thing that reminds us of a time gone by. For some of us, the grace of the church isn't that we don't have to go anymore. For some of us, the grace of the church is that it feels the same as it did when I grew up as a kid. And the worst thing you can do to that person is change those side things about the church and you change the one thing in my life that's steady and solid and you steal it from me. So now the church isn't gracious anymore because it changed things that I missed from back in the day. Is that the grace of the church? Is the grace of the church that you don't have to go? Is the grace of the church that is this, this nostalgic feeling of security that I have from when I was a kid? Was that God's plan? I don't think so. I'm not saying the church has to change all the time. And I'm not saying you have to attend all the time. I'm saying there's supposed to be a grace of the church. This was God's original plan. It was supposed to be an essential grace for us. So I want to jump in to one of the ways that the church is supposed to be an act of kindness from God. So that maybe we can start moving in that direction as a people and we can see it that way. And before I jump into it, let me be really clear. Uh, I want to make sure we define the terms because we could be talking about church and mean two totally different things when we talk about it. So let me just tell you this. Uh, the church, that word church is the Greek word ekklesia. It means called at ones or a, a group of people who are assembled together. So the church, I want to be really clear, is not this building. This is the building that the church meets in, but this is not the church that's supposed to be an act of grace. This is just sticks and stones and mortar, and I almost said sticks and stones. I don't know why I went there. But anyways, this is just a building. This is not a gift of grace from God. This is a building that the church uses. The church is not a time. It's not a time that we get together. The church is not a corporation. The church is a group of people who have met and encountered Jesus and been saved by him. And because of that encounter with Jesus, we're connected to one another. The church is a relationship. That's what the church is. So when I say church, I don't want you to think about a pastor. I don't want you to think about a program. I don't want you to think about a building or an organization. I want you to think about a people. So when we're talking about church being a gift of grace to you, here's what I mean very specifically to you and I in this room. The gift of grace that God has for you are sitting in the pews around you. You and I are the church. We need to look around. You can actually move your heads. You guys know I can tell when your head doesn't move, right? Like I can see you. Okay, I'm going to look around. These people that you may not know, that you've never sat next to, or that you may know, these people and your relationship with them is supposed to be a gift of grace from God to you. This. How are y'all feeling about that gift right now? Don't say it out loud. You weren't going to. I don't even know why I said that. As if you were actually going to say, I'm not feeling more great about that, Fias. It's supposed to be a really good thing. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to unpack in Ephesians chapter 4, ways that God intended the church, you and I, to be a gift of grace to one another. All right? So you turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. That's what we're unpacking here for the next couple weeks. In Ephesians chapter 4, uh, the book of Ephesians is rock solid. I love this book. I almost was going to go this book next, but I decided to do uh, jump into Ephesians chapter 4 for us. And Paul is talking about the church. And I want you to see what he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. Here's what he says there. But grace or kindness... But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host captive and he gave gifts to men. So what he's really saying real quick. There's this grace that God gave to every single one of us. And when Jesus ascended and went up to heaven, he gave gifts to people. He gave gifts of kindness to people. And I want to jump down and see what these gifts from God are. Verse 11, look at what he says here. Here's the gifts that God gave to people when he ascended. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Let me just hit pause right there real quick. Here's here's what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 4. God gave gracious and kind gifts to people after he died on the cross and resurrected. And those gifts that he gave to you and I and to everyone were certain people that he called into the leadership of the church. He gives that list there in verse 11. He says the first one is the apostles. Here's what an apostle is. This is a person who met and knew the resurrected Jesus and was tasked by him to lay the foundation from the church. There are no more apostles today. Just a little quick FYI. So if you meet someone that calls them apostle so-and-so, they aren't an apostle, that's trash. I'm just going to go ahead and call it. I'll use the slang lingo for it. It's just ridiculous. That's not slang. That's... Anyways, they're the the apostles. They're just a group of prophets that were happening in the early church. These are people who got revelation from God and gave it to the church. There are also people who explained existing revelation of God to the church specifically during that time. So you see in the very early church, before they had the Bible, the prophets are active giving revelation from God to the people of God. So you've got the apostles who are tasked by Jesus and met Jesus. Their job is to lay the foundation of the church on the Person and work of Jesus. You've got prophets who, before the Bible, is here, they're helping build on that foundation with the revelation of God. Then you've got this group of evangelists. Now, you don't want to think evangelists, a bunch of guys with suits that travel around and preach the same ten sermons over and over and over again. That's not an evangelist, according to the Bible. An evangelist is someone like Philip. This is a guy who traveled around meeting people, sharing the gospel, leading them to Jesus, and starting churches. That's what Philip does. That's the guy that met the Ethiopian eunuch. And on his, after that, where does he go? He goes to Samaria and plants a church. Like evangelists of the time, these are your church planters. These are your people who are outreaching people over and over and over again. And then there's a fourth group there. It says the shepherds and teachers. In the Greek, that's kind of one thing, where the idea there is it's the shepherd teachers or the pastor teachers. The, the fourth group that God gave to the church was the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, that's missionaries or church planners, and then the pastor teachers. Those are the four gifts that God gave to the church. And so here's what that means for you and I, that one of God's plans for the church to experience his grace, his gift to you and I, was that he sent gifted and called leaders to the church. And here's what that means for me, and it, here's what that means for you. Because I, we don't have apostles now. I don't, I'm not digging the whole prophet thing. We probably have evangelists, um, and we do have pastors slash teachers. And I look at that, and I hone in on that last one, pastors slash teachers, and here's what that means. That means I'm supposed to pastor you in such a way that you experience the grace and kindness of Jesus. The way I interact with you should be a gift of grace to you. Feels like a pretty overwhelming job description if you ask me. And let let me tell you why. Because when I think about doing that, I think if I asked you all, if I gave everyone in this room a blank piece of paper, here's what I want you to do. I don't want your name on it, but on that list of paper, I want you to write every way that you think a pastor should serve you so that you experience the grace and kindness of Jesus. I'm kind of curious. I really want you to start getting that list in your head. Are you doing it? Here's the concern that goes on in my head. If I actually asked you to do that, and if instead of an offering, you did me the kindness of dropping that in the offering plate, and I read all of those lists on Monday, here's what I know would happen. Every single one of your lists would be distinctly different. You would have a different game plan in your head of how the pastor should be an act of kindness to you. You would have your own agenda and your own idea of how it should happen. So we've got this problem. Do you get to write the list of the ways that I'm supposed to be an act of kindness to you? And then I thought, well, man, I don't think that's a great idea. Maybe I should write the list. Uh, that's a really bad idea. As if I get to sit up in my office and say, you know what? Let me think of ways that I can be a gift of God to these people. Doesn't that sound arrogant to anyone else? Like, I don't I don't think that's the way. I'm really glad that's not God's plan. God's plan was not that I get to write the list and the job description. His plan was not that you get to write the list or the job description. Are you offended yet? Good. His plan was that he gets to write the list and he gets to write the job description. He says, I have, I have a plan for the leaders of the church that they would be a gift of grace to you and here is what I want them to do. Ephesians chapter four, verse 12. What are these, these leaders in the church supposed to be doing? Verse 12 says this, to equip the saints For the work of ministry. I'm going to add another one there. To equip the saints for building up the body of Christ. Here was his plan so the church would experience the kindness and grace of God. His plan was that he would give gifted leaders that would equip the saints for the work of ministry. And when you think about that for a moment, that that his plan let me be real specific. His plan was that I, as your pastor, would equip you to do the work of ministry. And his plan was that I, as your pastor, would equip you to build up the body of Jesus. Man, that feels just as overwhelming as the first one that was going on in my head. And when I normally think about it, I think we read these verses and we flesh out in a very different way. We think that the pastor is supposed to preach a good sermon on Sunday, make sure the show is good every single week. And we think the pastor and the staff are supposed to do the work of the ministry, set it up so that we can show up and enjoy the show and enjoy the fruits of their ministry. We think the pastor and the staff are supposed to build up the body. And Jesus' plan was not that the pastors and staff would do the work of ministry or build up the body, not that they don't do any works of ministry, not that they don't do any building up of the body, but his primary plan so that the church would experience the grace of Jesus was that the pastors and elders, those teaching pastors, would equip the saints, the people in the pews, to do the work of ministry and to build up the body of Jesus. Now listen, I, his plan is that I would equip you, that I would give you what you needed, that it'll make you proficient to do the works that he has planned. So, how is a pastor supposed to do that? Let me flip over to another verse for you. Would you keep your finger here in Ephesians chapter 4? And I want to show you what 2 Timothy chapter 3 says. Trying to show you God's plan for people being equipped for the work of ministry. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Remember, keep your finger in Ephesians chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 3. How does God, what is his plan for the pastor to actually get this done? I'm supposed do a whole bunch of classes, a bunch of training sessions, a bunch of YouTube videos, maybe a really good podcast. Those are all good, good tools, but here's God's ultimate plan for this 2 Timothy 3, look at verse 16. He says, This all scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable or useful. And look at what this, the Bible is useful for for teaching, for reproof, for correction. And for training in righteousness. Let me lay these out. God said he gave the Bible, the word. It's breathed out by him. And it's useful for you and I for teaching. It tells you what is right. You want to know what God said is the right thing? The Bible is the source for that. The Bible is useful to teach us what is right. For correction. It's going to tell you what's wrong. That's not the fun stuff of the Bible. That means when you come and you hear the word, it's not just teaching you what is right. It's telling you and I where we are wrong. For for reproof, oh, I skip for that. that's for reproof. For correction is for how to get right. So for teaching what's right, for reproof, what's wrong, for correction, how to make it right, and for training in righteousness, how to stay right. The Bible's got all these things that God's plan was for you and I to have the word and to be useful for us to know what's right, to know what's wrong, to how to fix what's wrong, and how to stay right. Look at verse 17. Why? Why did he do all this with the word? That or so that the man of God may be complete or mature, look at this, equipped for every good work. God's plan for the church to be a gift of grace for you and I is that he would send gifted leaders who would take the word in such a way that you and I would be equipped for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Jesus. His plan is that you would get the Word, that you would swim in the Word, that you'd be saturated in the Word, that over and over and over again, you and I would be feasting on the Word and depending on the Word to shape us and to mold us and to correct us and to form us and to equip us for every single good work. That means that the best way for me to equip you is to give you the Word, to give it to you over and over and over with clarity clarity. And pointedness, even if it makes us uncomfortable, the best thing I can do to equip you is to give you the word. It also means that the best thing I can do to equip you is to stir you and call you to get in the word for yourself. You can't, you're not going to be able to do the work. You're not going to be equipped if all you ever do is wait once a week to hear what I would say from what I got out of the word every single week. What I have to equip you to do is over and over again, you to get up in the morning and you to get into the word and you to see how it's useful, how it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, for you to be equipped for the work of the ministry. That is God's plan. Feels kind of simple, doesn't it? When I say it that way, that that, that simply this, I'm supposed to equip you with the word to do the work of the ministry, and you're supposed to feast on the word so that you are continually uh, connected to God and able to do the work of the ministry? That sounds so simple, but he's got more here. Flip back to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to explain what he means by these two things. The first phrase he said there is that to equip the saints for the work of ministry, this is Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12 I want to be real clear what he means by work of the ministry. That phrase, work of the ministry, the word ministry means to wait tables or to, it's the word deacon, to deek. Uh, if, if that's really a word or not. It, it's acts of ministry, acts of service. That God's plan is that what he wants is he want to make sure that the church is exposed to the word from their leaders in such a way that you are equipped to do acts of service, acts of deaconing if you will. Men and women alike, God's called you, if you're part of the church, to do acts of service. I want you to look back Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8, 9, and 10. I want you to see what else God has in this for you because I think it's important for us to know this. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says this, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Y'all know these verses, right? And this um, this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. Here's what he's saying. God gave this grace to you so you could be saved. You're saved by grace through faith, not of works. Works don't save you, but look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship or his masterpiece or his poem is what, what that word might give the idea. We are his masterpiece or his workmanship. And look at what it says. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here's what Paul is teaching in the book of Ephesians. God saves us by grace through faith and makes us all part of the body of Jesus. But when he saves us by grace through faith, he's got more of a plan for you and I. He's got good works. He's got a plan of good works for you and for I that he's planned way before he even created the earth. He's got a plan to use you to do unbelievable acts of service to those around you. He wants to use you for ministry. He's got a plan for that. He's put you exactly in the neighborhood that you are in because God has a plan to use you for works of ministry in your neighborhood. Whether you like it or not, he's got a plan for you there. He's got a plan for you. He put you in the job that you are in. He put you in the very career that you have on purpose. And he had a plan before you were born, when he saved you, he had a plan to use you for acts of ministry where you work. He he put you in the family that you're in on purpose. You may not like that news. Depending on how your family is, that feels like bad news. And it can be. But I want you to know, he has a plan to use you and your family right now for acts of service. Mom and dad, he wants to use you to serve your kids in acts of service for his namesake. Kids, he wants to use you in your parents' life for acts of service for his namesake. For your siblings, God wants to use you in your family. He wants to use in your neighborhood, in your work, in your family. Listen, I think he wants to use you in all the fun things that you do. You love fishing, I think God wants to use you for acts of service in fishing. You love hunting? And you want to go hunting all the time, I want to tell you, I think God wants to use you in the hunting community for acts of service for his namesake. Whatever it is that you love, I, you can fill that list whatever you want. I think God has a very specific plan for you to use you for acts of service. I think what that means is that for the church to be a gift of grace, his plan was that the pastors and leaders would help you discover what that active ministry is that he has for you and equip you to do it. But I think sometimes it's really difficult for us because it feels like we're just going through our days and our weeks just trying to survive, not really realizing that he's got significant plans for your life right where you are at. My job is not to do it for you. My job is to equip you to do it. It may be organized. It may be just responding to needs as they come. I'm not saying you've got to organize significant ministries in your neighborhood, but maybe he does have that. It may be simply there's a lady that lives down the road that's a widow that needs help cutting her grass, and God's called you to do an act of service to serve that lady by cutting her grass for her. It can be something as big as having, as, as great as having them over for dinner on a regular basis and building a relationship. Or it could be as simple as mowing grass or saying hi or taking food over to them, whatever you want. God can use you for significant acts of ministry, right where you live, where you work, where you learn, and where you play. But it's not just his plan to equip you for works of ministry in your in your community and in this city. There's something else there in verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 4. It says that the pastor teaches are to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to equip the saints for building up the body of Christ. And I want you to see how he describes building up the body of Christ in verse 13. It says, until we all attain. Look at this goal that we, you and I together, are supposed to build up the people around us. Look at the goal of this. Until we all attain to unity of the faith. So he's saying, listen, you should be able, you should be equipped to stir each other up to build up one another to unity around the person and work of Jesus. There's more, though. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Look at this next one. Until we all attain to mature manhood. So you and I should be equipped to build each other up to maturity. We should be equipped to build each other up in unity around Jesus, to build up each other up to maturity in the faith. And look at this next one. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul's really wordy, let me say it like this. We should be equipped to build each other up to look more like Jesus. To look more and more like Jesus. And even as I'm saying that, here's what I'm afraid is going on in your head, you're thinking, I can't do that. You're saying that I, every single one of us sitting in these seats, we supposed to be growing to the point because of the equipping that's happening from the church, from your time in the word, and from the, the way we're leading you guys, that you're supposed to be equipped to the people around you to not only serve them, but to build them up to look more like Jesus. Jesus. That's phenomenal, you guys. I just want you to imagine what the church would look like if this actually happened. Can, can you imagine for a moment... If, if the training we've done about how you read the word and how you speak the gospel to one another, how you apply the word to each other with gospel grace, can you imagine if that was sinking in so deep that it wasn't just me trying to do that to all the people in this room? Can you imagine if there were hundreds of people in this room, I want you to imagine this, hundreds of people that were so in love with Jesus and so looking for the ways he's called us to serve him, that we were so engaged with one another that throughout the week, we're building each other up to look more like Jesus. Can you imagine what that looks like? It's not just happening on Sunday morning, but it's happening on Monday. Some of you are getting coffee and you're speaking that kind of truth to one another. You're grabbing lunch together on Tuesday. On Wednesday, you're in a small group together at a home. Like we're repeatedly together and we're the type of people who are able to equip and build, not equip, to build each other up to look more like Jesus. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't the church feel like a gift of grace from Jesus if all of us were equipped to represent him and build each other up to look like him? It'd be fun. The church would be on fire because as you're talking before service happens, you're building each other up to look like Jesus in, in a real and practical way, not some weird, like, up in your head way. You're actually speaking truth to one another. As the week goes on, you're building those relationships, you're bearing each other's burdens and stirring each other up to look more like Jesus. That's God's plan for the church, and it could be unbelievable if a church was like that. And I want to challenge some of you, because I I was asking myself this question. I started thinking through some of the trainings that we've done about gospel fluency or how to read the Bible, how we've tried to set up groups that get together in small groups either on Sunday morning at nine or Wednesday evening at six or throughout the weeks in living rooms. What we've tried to do to create those moments and sometimes it's felt like there's been this this resistance or this fear of it. There's been a disconnection from it and I'm afraid that the more we resist that and the more we disconnect from it, the less the church will feel like grace to you. And the more it will feel like a burden and something that's heavy on you, it won't feel like good news. It'll feel like, like something else that you don't like and you don't love, and you will miss the grace of Jesus if we disconnect from the church in this way. Like I think God's plan is for that to happen. I think when Jesus died on the cross, he left the church, so every man, woman, and child could encounter the good news of Jesus. That's what he wants. He wants people to be able to, to meet him and be saved by him and be changed by him. And his plan is not to do that only through the pastor. His plan is to do that through you. Because I want to remind you of the good news. Jesus came and died on the cross and bore all of our sin and came back to life three days later. And what he says, if you place your trust in him, he'll forgive you, and he'll put resurrection power in you. He, he has enough, if he has enough power to bring Jesus back from the dead, if he has enough grace to forgive my sin, if he has enough mercy to not condemn me to hell forever because of the work of Jesus, then he can use you and I to serve and love one another. If his word can break into our stone-cold hearts and make us come alive And cause our hearts to burn for him when we were enemies. If his word can do that, then it's strong enough to equip you and I to be used by him in powerful ways for those around us. You don't have to go to seminary to do that. You don't need Bible college. You need Jesus and the word and his gospel. And he's given you and I everything that we need to be able to do this. And I'm afraid that some of you here, you've been in church, but you never experienced that good news. Man, I hope that one day you'll trust in Jesus and experience his life-changing power. There's others here where I I get concerned. You've been in church a long time and man, you've been equipped over and over and over and over again. The thought of going to one more training makes you wanna throw up in your mouth and say, please don't have another class on a Saturday. Please don't do it Wednesday because I ain't coming. Right, Am, am I right or No. Okay, we're not head nodding today. I got it, I got it. Fine, I'll just preach longer. Just kidding, I'm just kidding. Uh, Here's my concern for us. God's plan is for him to use you. And what some of you don't need is you don't need more equipping. I'm just gonna say it really directly. You need to get up off your rear end and start doing the work of ministry. There's no more equipping that some of you need. You need to get up and do it. And I don't know why you aren't. That's between you and God. You don't answer to me for that. You answer to Him. But if you think that He's going to sit idly by while you've been given the word for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you think He's going to bless you for that? You're out of your mind. He's pouring lavishly on you the grace of having a church that's preached the word for over 50 years. You're more equipped than you know. And I don't know if it's fear. I don't know if it's stubbornness. I don't know if it's just straight exhaustion. But Jesus has a plan to use you for every single day of your life. He's not done with you yet. You're breathing. He's got a plan for you. I don't know if that's with your family, with your neighbors. I don't know. But he's not done with you yet, and the reason I know that is because you are still here. He's got a plan for you. He's got grace for you. You could experience joy that you've never known as you get to minister on his behalf to those around you. You could experience it. I don't know what his plan exactly is, but I know he's got a plan. So let me ask you some questions to help you discover it. My challenge is this. What ministry are you doing I know what ministries you're experiencing. I want to know what you're actually doing. Who are you ministering to? Who are you serving? What good works does God have planned for you this week, just this week? He's got something for you. He doesn't doesn't want you coasting this week. Let me ask you this. Who are you specifically helping right now to look more like Jesus? Who are you talking to? How How are you helping those around you actually do that? If you can't answer those questions, then I want you to know it's time for you to find out what the ministry he has for you and who he wants you to use to build up to look more like Jesus. And if you need help being equipped for it, I'm telling you, I'm available to do it. I need you to tell me, I want to be equipped for this. And we'll sit down with the word and I'll teach it to you and send you on your way so you can do it equipped by his word and by his work of the spirit. He's got a plan to use you. For others of you, man, you're pouring out ministry all the time. Some of you are pouring out all over the place. You're doing it in your neighborhood. You're doing it in your small group. You're doing it at your job. You're doing it here at church. You're serving and you're serving and you're serving and you're serving. And you are flat wore out. And I, I want to encourage you. The Bible doesn't just equip us. It sustains us. And for some of you, I mean, you just, I just think about what you do, some of you. And I'm talking like there are evenings that you are up late pouring yourself out. You're doing ministry. You've got neighbors coming over. You know you don't have another inch of margin for them. You don't have another inch to give any more. You've been doing it for so long. You don't have anything left in the tank. And I want to encourage you. Would you just hit pause for a moment and make sure you stay in the word. Because if you are pouring out, and 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 you neglect the word, and you neglect the word, and you neglect the word, it will suck you dry. You can't sustain 5, 10, 15, 40, 50, 500 million years. You cannot sustain years of ministry without recharging and feasting on the word. Listen, the Word doesn't just equip you, it sustains you for the work. And if you've been throwing down for years without feasting on the Word, you're going to get bitter, you're going to get angry, you're going to get joyless, you're going to get exhausted. That's not His plan of grace for you. His plan of grace for you and I is that the church would be, would be filled with leaders who would equip you with the Word for the work that he's called you to. His plan is to use you and the people next to you to build one another up all the time to look more like Jesus. And all of that is done through the spirit, equipping us through the word and sustaining us through the word. So church, right now, as as you're engaging in ministry or you're trying to figure out what ministry to engage in, I want you to know that God's plan is that the church would be a gift of grace to everyone around you. And his best plan for that is that you would be equipped to do the work of ministry. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I'm going to guide you in a moment of response. I don't know what God would have said to you, but now's the moment for you to do business with him. Has the church felt like a burden or a duty or an obligation to you? Listen, I want to encourage you to see God's plan for what the church is supposed to be. To see it as a gift of grace. Have you been equipped to do a ministry that God's calling you to, but you're you're hesitant for some reason? Listen, would would you commit to step out and do the ministry he's called you to? He plans to use you. Would you let him do it? Maybe for some of you, you've been pouring out, but you have not had a chance to reconnect to him through his word on a regular basis. You're gonna crash. Would you commit to reconnecting to his word this week so you can be sustained by him? Heavenly Father, I... I pray for us all here today. God, God we, we want the church to be a gift of grace. We, we want to stick with your plan. And So God, I'm praying. I'm praying we'd be a people that wouldn't be centered around me or a staff or a program. God, God, I'm praying we'd be a people that would be centered around you. God, I'm asking that you would you would help us to equip the men, women, and children of this church for the work of ministry that you have for them. God, I pray you would give us Faith that you'll actually, you actually are able to use us and strong enough to do that. God, I'm praying you would help us to equip each other, to build each other up, to look more like Jesus. God, I, I'm asking that we'd be so saturated in the Word that we'd be able to speak the, the truth of the grace and kindness of God to one another, so that we'd look more like Him. God, give us kindness and boldness for you to do that with one another. I pray we do that in faith that you're strong enough to use us. God, I'm praying you'd make our church a blessing to everyone that's here. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.